How about that? Now I'm supposed to talk. Down the road, where Mount Vernon Towers stands, was Hamilton Elementary School, where I went to elementary school. One of my favorite parts of the school was a milk machine. This was the days before cartons. They would give you a, a cup that was a cone, and you had a little holder that the cone would go in. And you would go to the milk machine, and you have one, and you go to the milk machine, and you could go back as many times as you wanted. And because the administration and the people in the cafeteria were Christian people, it was whole milk that they served us. <laughs> because that's the only kind of milk that you should ever drink is whole milk. Mathis Dairy used to bring it to our front porch. Remember Mathis Dairy? Bring it in the jar. And for school, we would go on field trips to Mathis Dairy, and we would get buttons that said, I milked Rosebud. Remember Rosebud for Mathis Dairy? I milked Rosebud. And sometimes after that, someone came up with the idea, since I went to Hammond Elementary, that whole milk was bad for us. I'd like to meet that person. Because for several years, my wife listened to that person and would bring home gallons of milk with a blue top or a yellow top or a white top. And if you love Jesus, you bring home milk with a red top. <laughs> and we would have Probably our biggest marriage problem in our 33 years was the whole milk debacle. She would try to get me to stop drinking it and drink the, the 2%. I always wondered, 2% what? I didn't know what this was she was drinking. Our skim stuff. Did you hear recently that they said that whole milk is not bad for us? <clears throat> Did you see that? A study has come out recently that we were wasting our time with skim and 2%, that whole milk is better for you. Are you surprised at that? They told us not to eat butter, to eat margarine, and now you know what they're telling us? Butter's better for you to eat that. And I will. While I drink my whole milk, I will eat butter. <laughs> Conventional wisdom <coughs> can be conventional and wrong at the same time. They've changed their minds on so many things in our life. The world was flat in conventional thinking. That's been proven wrong. Spud Webb was told by conventional wisdom he was too small to play in the NBA. They were wrong. He did. They told Mel Tillis because he couldn't talk, he couldn't sing. And he made a living singing. I was taught that you can't go swimming until an hour after you eat. Oh, you can. <laughs> As a child, I was told that if you eat ice cream made from whole milk, 
before supper. It'll ruin your appetite. I'm 57 years old and I still have an appetite. I have not ruined it yet. So if you want to eat your key lime pie tonight before everything else, you do that. You might be sitting there knowing that for the past several weeks we've been going through Ephesians 6 and the honor of God. And you're thinking, David, we're at verse 17. What's that have to say to do with Ephesians 6, 17? I'm glad you asked me that. And if you weren't here, let me show you Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation. We talked about that last week. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Most sermons that I've heard about verse 17, especially the second part, use conventional wisdom, and I don't agree. And we're going to talk about this today. Before we go further, let's pray. God, as you inspired Paul to write these words, inspire us to hear them and to know them. Thank you for your word. And thank you for all that you have to teach us. And we ask that you would teach us today as we adore thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As I read commentaries about this or hear sermons about this, the conventional wisdom is that this is talking about the Bible. Genesis through Revelation. That's what I have heard. That's what I have seen. That's conventional wisdom. But I'm bothered by that. Not about the Bible, don't get me wrong. But I'm bothered is they're taking a leap because when Paul wrote this, the Bible wasn't written yet. Right? He's writing the Bible as he's writing Ephesians 6, 17. All that existed and all that Paul had at the day, and he knew it very well, was the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is often quoted in the New Testament. You remember when Jesus, after his baptism, went to the wilderness to be tempted. You remember the devil was asking him to do things and Jesus resisted with scripture? Matthew 4, 1 to 11 tells the story. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days, 40 nights. And afterwards he was famished. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8, 3. Jesus knew it. He fought the devil. Verse 5, The devil then took him to the holy city, placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, now the devil's quoting scripture. He'll command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you can dash your foot against the stone. That's Psalm 91, 12. Jesus then answered. Again it's written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6, 16. So again the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said to him, all these I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6.13 So then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came, and they waited on Jesus. So Jesus used the Old Testament. Back to Ephesians 6.17, Take the helmet of salvation 
the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Paul wrote that, again, you know, the Word of God was the Old Testament. Here's the question, and I love the Old Testament. Is that enough? Is that enough for you and me? Look at Luke chapter 16, beginning verse 19. A New Testament story about the importance of the Old Testament. Jesus tells the story that a certain rich man who lived splendidly, was clothed in purple and fine linen, who lived every day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, not the other Lazarus, Mary Martha's brother. This is the same name, different person. And he was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would often come and lick his sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly bank. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There he was in torment, and he saw Abraham in far distance and Lazarus in his son. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in anguish in his flame. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. So now he's being comforted and you are in anguish. Besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross from you to from here or no one can cross over there to us from there. The rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send it to my father's house. I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. Maybe the first thought of his family he ever had, and not thinking of himself, I don't want my brothers to end up in this place, so send him to tell them. Abraham said this. Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they want. The rich man said, no, no, Father Abraham. If someone is sent to them from the dead, then they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. We needed something, something really special. Send a dead guy to them. That'll help. <laughs> but Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. It's interesting to me. Moses and the prophets, that's the Old Testament Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's enough. They should listen to what Moses said. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And what the prophets have said. So in Ephesians 6, Paul is writing this about the Word of God. The Word of God is limited to the Old Testament. Here's an unconventional thought. Do you think Ephesians 6, 17 is prophecy? You think there's a chance that as Paul is penning these words under God's instruction, we know God knows what's going to happen with these words. But do you think God is letting us know that one day you're going to have more, the old and the new? It would be 300 years later after Paul, maybe over 300 years, when the 27 letters were put together to form the New Testament. Is it prophecy about the coming of Scripture? Could be. 
Something else. When Paul is talking about the Word of God, we think he's thinking back to when he first, first heard the Word of God or the voice of God. Quickly, we'll look at Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Paul from Saul. You see here it says, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, was eager to kill the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. He was approaching Damascus on this mission, and the light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice, the word of God, saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. <clears throat> now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. You know the rest of the story. So, could Paul be talking about the Word of God, hearing something from Jesus, saying, you're wrong, I'm right, you need to get on my side. Which is the same voice that we need to hear. You're wrong, I'm right, and you need to get on my side. And thinking about the limitations that Paul had of Scripture, or the people in his day had of only the Old Testament, and I love the Old Testament, it hit me today that you and I have more at our disposal of God's Word than Moses had, than Paul had than the prophets ever had. We got the whole story. And therefore, we have no excuse. Because all that we have, old and new, and if we follow its teaching, we should be, and I just jotted down a few things of how we should be. We should be loving. And we should be kind. And we should be excited. And we should be thankful. We should never worry. We should be giving. We should never believe in the impossible. We should be forgiving. And we should expect great things. Just a few things I jotted down. I have a relative that I love to talk with. He was once upon a time, for most of his life, lost as a goose. Church didn't matter. God didn't matter. The Old Testament didn't matter. The New Testament didn't matter. And then he started going to a Bible study. And then he started going to church. And now, he is loving and kind and excited and thankful. And he doesn't worry like he used to. And he's giving. And he doesn't believe in the impossible. And he's forgiving. And he expects great things. And when you talk to him, it's like, who is this person? Because you remember what he was. But he's changed. Back to Ephesians 6, 7. We also notice that the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is a weapon. I want to make a distinction. It is a weapon to fight Satan, not fight each other, as Christians are prone to do. 
I like guns. And Spikes Tactical introduced an AR-15 Crusader rifle described um, as the Crusader rifle, why they call it that. Etched on it is Psalms 144.1. I'm not making this up. You can buy an AR-15 and on the receiver is etched the verse Psalms 144.1. They sold very popular. Psalms 144.1 says, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. And they sold a lot of guns for that. Matthew 5.43-48 wouldn't sell a lot of guns. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I know that's a lot of words, and I doubt that's going to fit on any kind of receiver. It has to be a really big gun, but people use Scripture for fun. I've noticed some who want to use Scripture to bully and to even hurt. And I think they missed it. Their sword is not for Satan, but it's about anybody who might disagree with them. So we have to be careful with our weapon. We have to be very careful to do good with it and not harm. So let me leave you with this thought about Scripture. About all of it. Old Testament, New Testament, and what God has said to you. Colossians 3.6. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. That's a beautiful picture of Scripture being rightly used. Use it rightly. Thank God what you have to Father, we adore you, and we are so thankful for your word to us. We have more than your disciples to read every day, to use as a weapon to fight against our enemy, not against others. So, Father, help us to be careful and let your word dwell richly in us, so that we can be the loving men and women of God. You call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're not going to do our hymn of invitation this morning. What we thought we would do is let Declan sing us out. I know I heard him practice, and after he practiced one time, I thought, I want to hear it again. And I bet you're like me. So Declan's going to do our closing prayer. If you'll just bow your head and close your eyes. Okay, we'll just get y'all to do the second verse like you did. Declan, let's pray.
with the love. 